MWSL Nation. It is Challenge Cup week. We're finally here. Sports is back, and the first league is back. And if you're not excited, you should be. Thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. I, of course, am Steve Schwartzman, here as always with our resident soccer savant. And I'm going to call him my favorite Oregonian, even though he technically wasn't born or raised there. But he probably likes to be considered as such. Mike McPhee, how are you? Hey, Steve. Proud Oregonian here. How's it going? I, I'm all right. It has been such a weird week already. Um, it, and it's not even over. The, yeah. the tournament hasn't even started, and it's been a week. Yeah, the, uh, you know, everything virus-related has been absolutely bonkers, and uh, to get away from a lot of the political opinions that we both, I think, agree on on that case, um, that obviously isn't um, uh, a stranger to the NWSL as it actually hit the league pretty hard coming into this week. Of course, it is Challenge Cup week. When you're hearing this, we'll be about a day shy of the NWSL Challenge Cup to kick off Saturday the 27th. But starting the week, it honestly felt like there's a chance that it may not happen, period. Monday, news had broke. Uh, and I, this is still nuts to me. Uh, the 21st on Sunday was when rosters for, for all the teams for the Challenge Cup were supposed to be finalized. Obviously, we'd gotten wind of a lot of players from different teams that more or less would be sitting out. It was early Monday when it was announced that the Orlando Pride would be sitting out the tournament altogether as an organization after reported six players and four staffers, that's 10 people total within the organization, had tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, they made the widespread decision essentially to, you know, to sit out the tournament. And I've obviously taken the field from nine to eight numbers wise, weirdly made things a little bit more convenient, but obviously it's big news and really unfortunate news. A lot of things driving from the fact that apparently there were players and individuals, different staff who honestly weren't being very responsible in their decision-making as far as all of the ramifications you, sh you should probably make during a time of a pandemic, wearing face coverings, social distancing, not going out. Uh, you know, in public, especially, you know, unneeded, especially when you're essentially going to be entering a bubble within the coming days. So there were a lot of heavy opinions about that. I'm leading into this really heavily, Mike, but I, I would love to hear kind of your opinion. First of all, your immediate reaction when you heard this news, because for me, it was, you know, I, you know, this is like really coming into Monday, knowing we were going to hear about roster soon. This couldn't have been farther from the last, like, this is easily the last thing I expected to hear. Absolutely. I mean, we're just counting down the hours to rosters. And then I see the headline Orlando withdraws because of, you know, 10 positive cases. I mean, and it was the worst fears in all of this. First league back is exciting. But then you remember, oh, yeah, playing a tournament in the middle of a pandemic is actually risky. And yeah, yeah, it was kind of our worst fears. And it's a situation where it's not like the NWSL is alone. You know, athletes in many sports have also tested positive. This is something that's affecting everybody. But to me, it felt like a microcosm of, of the U.S. right now because on the individual level, you have some stupid behavior, people that should have been isolating and, you know, preparing for the tournament. And then you have the fact that bars and nightclubs in Florida are apparently open for some reason. So, yeah. Individually stupid, the the larger scale policy also stupid. I mean, but I 
I was shocked and I'm just gutted for the team. Yeah, really. And, and obviously, you know, a lot of players that already really made their thoughts known, we don't necessarily know names of individuals who are involved who are involved it's not our place to put any conjecture toward that obviously in these medical cases you know they're protected in that case so i think making speculation isn't really where we want to lean on that that said there still is a, a high level of frustration for this and it sounds like behind the scenes a lot of players especially veteran players on the pride have already you know internally expressed that frustration of you know a lot of us worked our asses off and have put in that effort and these individuals essentially you could say ruined it for a lot of us yeah and, they they worked hard yeah. to be where they are i mean they have families that are now at risk you know they've worked hard to get to the tournament um players coming back from from injuries that have worked hard that have you know worked their whole careers to get on the roster you know there, there's just so many different aspects and and then the fact that i mean this could have shut the whole the whole league down um, they ultimately decided to proceed, but I mean, they had to rework the entire tournament in hours. Which I, I do want to say, I, I want to give strong kudos to Lisa Baird and the organization for making that happen. Within that same day, they had called a league-wide meeting. They discussed, you know, plans for redrawing the schedules, and essentially had everything pretty pretty well panned out. Which is, you know, a good, a, you know, a good call on their part. It's just frustrating this type of thing had to happen altogether. I don't know about you, Mike. I walked into Monday really thinking the tournament wasn't going to happen. It really felt like something that was a high scare level that, you know, maybe this is something that's really going to open up a lot of things. Obviously, with it being Orlando, that it's, you know, it made sense why potentially why other teams may not see that same fate because Florida is a very concerned area in terms of the pandemic. And it's really easy to make one or two dumb decisions and suddenly be inundated with his cases we're seeing it across um uh, you know several different iterations even outside of florida you know we're watching a lot of basketball players currently uh coming out and speaking and saying you know we have uncomfortability with being a part of this on top of that people testing positive um the wwe recently I think as as we're recording this this evening announced that they had a handful of people possibly over a dozen individuals in their organization who had tested positive of course they've been holding events um, at least taped on camera for several weeks, pretty much haven't taken a break during the pandemic. And now it's, it's showing its colors there and their events being slotted in Orlando. When you know that there's that level of risk to where you're at, it's, it's insane to me to think that people made that decision to get back to I, my original. There's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no. I was just thinking um, how in, in retrospect, how, how smart it seems for uh, the rain to go train in Montana like they did. Absolutely. I mean, everybody's handling it differently, but I mean, it just, it just shows that, you know, this is a serious risk. And as much as we want soccer to be back, it's not without risk. I, I can't help it. The dumb analogy that I've had recently has been with cross-contamination, like, uh, you know, as a cook and, and, you know, if you've ever gotten a food handler's permit, they talk a lot about that in terms of you always play on the safer side and assume that something's at risk you know if a raw egg gets dropped 10 feet away from you you can get the wherewithal to think oh maybe that didn't end up in this meal that i'm preparing but the chance that it really could have means we might want to throw this away and start over and i say that because the term we're hearing a lot when it comes to sports things right now is bubble right 
well, but we're in a bubble. Like, we're going to be protected. We're in this area, and people can't go in and go out. So it's this bubble. You can say whatever you want about a bubble, but if you're putting people in, in Florida, such a high concern area, it, it just it really makes you wonder. And honestly, a lot of people have made that argument at the NWSL, well, well, this is being held in Utah. As a current resident of Utah, I'm here to tell you the level of concern here, while maybe not at Florida levels, pretty darn high utah is still pretty regularly breaking their daily case records we've seen a large spike in hospitalizations and deaths related to the virus it's it's definitely something to be highly concerned about and something that is going to be a decision and listen i'm definitely someone who absolutely wants to have a tournament i want to watch soccer i want to watch sports it's been really hard as a sports fan to not have that in my life for three months but much more important is that people can be safe and healthy and you find other ways to occupy yourselves. Yeah, this is, this is puzzles. Puzzles are great. And so that's obviously going to be a looming question in the thought of coming back to what I had said with that was, you know, I walked out of that Orlando news wondering if this part, tournament was going to happen altogether. I guess my question for you is, I think this definitely is going to happen realistically. Do you think we'll see through the end of this tournament? I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, we, we recorded a preview episode where, where Orlando was included in the mix too. So, so we obviously can't see the future. I know that they had a very detailed safety plan in place, including testing, including you know protocol for where the players are staying, all, all sorts of things in place to protect player health and safety. And even though I, I thought that seemed pretty thorough, I hope they double down on those policies. And maybe the Orlando situation will be a wake-up call that this is something yeah. we need to take as seriously as possible. I'll tell you the thing that scares me the most is as we're recording this, there are teams that are just now entering Salt Lake City yeah. a couple days before the tournament started. The truth of the matter is, and one thing that other leagues are thinking about doing is if you really wanted to assure safety, players should have been showing up weeks ago. I, I agree. They, I, I think that was yeah. a misstep because you you know that that's a you can guarantee that you haven't been, yeah. you know, out in the community and, and you have time to quarantine. You're not sick and maybe you haven't tested positive, but how many times have we gone through the facts of like being being asymptomatic, that doesn't necessarily mean... Or pre-symptomatic. Or, or pre-symptomatic. Yeah, like, doesn't necessarily think things are safe. And the fact of the matter is, all it takes is that one case. I mean, health, like, having stringent safety concerns right now is incredibly important, and I do think the NWSL has made some really strong measures. But those... Can those measures only go so far? You don't go skydiving without going through a myriad of safety measures, but it takes one issue, and at some point, you have to jump out of the plane, and it can take one small issue that turns something into a catastrophe. It's one simple case, you know, one minute case that turns a bubble into what would I call it? A petri dish. Bubble. A petri dish is good. I was going to say dirty bubble. Well, and and that's, bubble. that's like, yeah. And that's the double-edged sword of being the first league back too, is that I think in a lot of ways there have been positive standards that have been set. Um, yeah. and, and it's great to have that attention. Um, but there's also extra scrutiny. You know, I, I saw, you know, the Orlando situation 
made, you know, national news because, you know, we were just preparing to have the first major tournament and then, you know, this happened. So um, the attention I, I think can cut both ways, but I, I hope that behind the scenes, it's something they're very prepared for. I, I think we're at a place now where it probably would be good for us to move on, but I, I think it is clear to say first and foremost, for anyone involved in the Orlando pride organization, we hope that in general players, personnel, coaches, staff, whoever are safe and are well taken care of and are, you know, now, if if they hadn't already, making the proper, you know, measurements and protocols to maintain such. And, you know, those who have been affected by this, those who are infected are, are hopefully learning from this and being supportive to those causes. Because uh, this obviously is a very unfortunate thing for everyone. But at the end of the day, health and safety is what's most important. So to those individuals and their families, I, th- I think that comes first and foremost. And we obviously wish the best and, and, you know, as far as that's considered. Now, as we move out of that, what I will say, Mike, is an unfortunate positive of this is it actually does make the structure of the Challenge Cup a little bit simpler. Right. <laughs> on on paper, eight teams is is a lot it's a lot cleaner than nine, although we could have, we could have done without the whole incident. Obviously. Yeah. For definite. Yeah. Something you definitely wouldn't have wanted to see in general, but I don't think it goes without saying that, you know, it does clean things up a little bit better as that's considered. And that's kind of where we're going to kick things off. Mike is it's time to do our official predictions. Those who listened in last week got to hear us do some more arbitrary fun predictions for our squads this time we're actually going to get a chance to dive a little bit more into each roster um, how things are looking transactions they've made expectations we have for them and then actually see if we can work down a system where mike and i officially give our challenge cup predictions and i'm excited to hear what mike has to say because i uh i had fun putting my predictions together but fun is probably a loaded term i think i i think i lost a lot of calories is more of the idea it was (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's tense if you're cool let's go ahead and kick things off i think we'll go through the rosters essentially in alphabetical order so mike i'm going to kick it over to you to tell us a little bit about the chicago red stars right okay so the 2019 season saw the red stars strongest finish in club history uh they reached the nwsl championship before falling to the courage uh despite this impressive showing the league's leading scorer sam kerr left the club for europe However, the Red Stars have one of the deepest rosters in the league, including national team players like Julie Ertz, Alyssa Nair, Casey Short, Morgan Bryan, and Tierna Davidson. To replace Kerr, they also added Kalia Watt, formerly Kalia Ojai, and Rachel Hill. One question I have, Steve, is how will the Red Stars attack, adapt to the loss of Sam Kerr? First and foremost, thank you for putting that together. People don't know that the level of preparation Mike puts into this is is uh, invaluable. Kicking things off with with your main keynote question is, uh, yeah, the Red Stars adapting to losing what I would consider to potentially you there's there's legs to potentially call Sam Crew the best NWSL player of all time, just in terms of her value in the league, especially last year and the last couple of years. Um, and, and the effect that she had for the Red Star is a big push to, to her getting to the final. What is that effect? I, I'm really intrigued by the overall look and feel of this roster because there's a lot of offensive firepower. And I think the question I have, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, General, in this, does losing Sam Kerr help the Red Stars in a way? Obviously, it doesn't help them in general because you've lost a superstar. Does it help them in the sense that it 
there's certain players that have more potential to shine? No, that's that's a good question because, uh, like I mentioned, I think Chicago's strength is just the utter depth of their roster. It's it's incredible. Like all all the national team players I mentioned, like that's not even um, talking about like Danny Calaprico or Savannah McCaskill or Vanessa Di Bernardo. You know, like it, the the list of talent is just insane, and th- those are players that have stepped up like during the World Cup last year. Um, that being said. I don't think there is a replacement for Sam Kerr. She was uh, just a one-of-a-kind scorer, just completely lethal. And I don't think they should even try to replace her player for player. Um, You know, they they did add uh, Killy Watt, and um, I think that helps. But I, I think they would be better off adapting their style of attack. Someone like Yuki Nagasato, who I'm a huge fan of her style of play, but I think if you focus more on, you know, she's one of the league's leading assisters. And I think if you drive the attack more through her and use more, um, say, wing players as, a, as, a, as opposed to Kerr's, like, direct attack, I, I would just ad- adapt the style of play myself. I do. I really like that sentiment. I would say giving Yuki the opportunity to attack the goal more, I actually think is really intriguing. I actually think she had some of the more impressive goals throughout the season when she took that opportunity. And I I think that's in there for her. One player who I saw a lot out of last year that I really liked that I think has the potential to really branch out. And this is a story of a handful of teams that have key offensive players out that there's one or two players that you go, Oh, if the onus is put on them, this could be interesting. I'm really excited to see what Vanessa DiBernardo could put together. Oh, absolutely. um, On the field. And and she's someone that I think could be a, you know, a a huge piece. What I would say here is the strength that they had and the reputation they had with Sam Kerr, they almost can pull away from and still be a, a fairly dominant team because they're pulling out potentially one of the best defensive rosters in the league, as, as you look at things, obviously between Casey Short, Julie Ertz, we already talked about, they have one of the best goalkeepers in the league, obviously in, in a listener. I, I, I feel like being able to hold the line might actually be more of their strength words, whereas I feel like their reputation last season was obviously being an explosive offensive team. And I think that's going to speak really, you know, obviously heavy for them. Um, Mike, Mike, moving things forward with Chicago in no, let's dive into their, their draw really quick and how their schedule worked out. They kick things off against the Washington Spirit. Then they'll face off against the Portland Thorns in the 1030 game. Then the Courage, and then they end thing with, with uh, Utah uh, Royals FC. So they have one of the tougher draws in that two of the top teams. <laughs> They do, uh, in their draw. you know, it's, I, I feel, I feel for Red Star fans because in the original schedule, they, they had probably the best draw of the league. And now this is a brutal draw. Not gonna, not gonna lie. Yeah. I think you have a, you have the home team, which can speak for itself a lot. It doesn't always play big teams, but it speaks for itself. You have the two top teams and you have a spirit team that sneakily, I mean, we're going to get to them at some point. Sneakily could be one of the better teams of this tournament. Uh, it's yeah, I think it's a tough go for them, and it's definitely going to prove a lot. And that's again where I think their defensive prowess is going to hopefully speak volumes on on their end. We'll we'll definitely see how that goes. Are there any particular matchups as far as their draw that really intrigue you, or even just the draw order stand out at all to you? 
Um, like you mentioned, I think it'll be the the matchup with the Washington Spirit. I think that'll where where it's their opening match. It'll be a good indicator or of, of where both clubs are. But I mean, of course, we're all waiting for the for the replay of the 2019 championship with the courage, right? So before we get into official predictions, uh, as as we've dove into a lot here with the Red Stars, it's one thing we absolutely can't ignore. Where do you rank their new kit compared? to other new kits in the league because in my opinion it's pretty high up on the list phenomenal and this is i i loved their 2019 kits i thought that was one of my favorites and then they outdid themselves it's yeah it's genius the detail the detail of the the neighborhood call out is pretty fantastic i it it's so convenient for chicago in that they have such a great city flag <laughs> uh, that's true but they always they find ways on that, to incorporate but their community into their kit and i love that mm-hmm. it speaks it speaks to the culture it speaks yeah. to the city i i'm a huge fan and just would, the aesthetic mm-hmm. works so perfectly for sure i would say if i had to lean toward one look you know last year's look with the the street map was a favorite of mine and you know i was a huge fan of that it, i'd probably lean a little bit toward that but i did love uh the the neighborhood kit i, I thought it was a great look so now that we've gotten the important piece out of the way, which was kits, Mike, uh, as it stands right now, looking through the schedule, looking through this roster, where do you have the Red Stars folding out in points when the first four games are said and done? In terms of rankings? Yeah, where do you have them ranked? Standings, one eight. Rather? Um, yeah. I, I have them finishing fourth. What about you, Steve? Um, I'm... This might come off really intriguing. I, I think I played a lot of narratives in my head in terms of where teams map out. And when we talk about other squads, it might speak better to it. Right now, as it stands, I've got Chicago at two. Okay. Uh, maybe I just don't have them far away from last year. But, I, you know, their defense really did speak out to me. And if they can at least pull a draw at least once in between Portland and the Courage, I think they're sitting in a good spot. I think their chances against Washington and, and, and Utah are strong. So yeah, right now I have them at the two. That's, we'll that's great. Yeah, it was hard to put them at four. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in this this team, this roster. I I think it was when I saw their new draw, I thought, wow, that's that's a tough road, but good call. 100%. Okay, so Mike, you've got the Red Stars sitting fourth. I have them sitting second. Let's see how the other seven teams map out. Mike, tell us a little bit about the Houston Dash. Okay, Steve. Houston, there have been significant changes to the Dash's roster since they finished seventh in the 2019 season. Although multiple players, most notably Kalia Ojai, left left the team, Houston gained Megan Oyster, Katie Naughton, Katie Stangle, Brie Vasali, Shea Groom. So very solid players coming in. In addition, several players with season-ending injuries from last season are expected to be back to full health. A couple of things I'm looking at with the dash is if there will be enough support for a Rachel Daly-led attack. And also, were the defensive roster moves enough to reverse 2019's poor goal differential? Fantastic. Thanks again, Mike. Again, the, I think the setup is pretty standard. This is definitely you know a team that offensively had has leaned on Rachel Daly pretty heavily, and defense definitely seemed like a theme of a lot of their moves. I'm going to turn this immediately over to you. How do you grade in your mind the the roster moves that the Dash made 
and and how it'll impact their effectiveness during the tournament i think their roster improved slightly although they did lose some you know key players i think the frustrating thing for them last year well there was a lot of frustrating things for them last year but again they have attacking pieces but they didn't necessarily feel cohesive so bringing in players like katie stangle from the royals um or now now that say like Michelle Prince is should should be back to full health Veronica Latsko um I think that should provide a lot more support and hopefully that cohesiveness but it wasn't limited to the offensive problems I think the defense really needed to shore up we we saw I think they had like a negative 15 goal differential mm-hmm. and I think that's where most of the roster movement happened on paper I see what they're doing I don't think it's the strongest roster um, in the league, but we'll see how it plays out is my feeling. I, I agree with you pretty much in all handles there. I think it's a, it's a tough roster with, I like the Katie Stangle move. And yeah. that was one that stood out to me. Defense is definitely a big concern on my end as, as you look at Houston, I will say this moving into to the next side of this conversation is they might've had one of the luckier draws. That's true. That's true. Of of the league, you know, they've got Utah to kick off, then they have the rain, sky blue, and they finish things off with Washington. So they have a potential to to only only one of those some points. Yeah, yeah, only one of those teams was a playoff team last year. Um, You obviously have a team of some vast improvements, but also that I mean, we'll talk about the rain a lot, but you know, them being that playoff team, they also were a squad of concern uh you know for a lot of reasons coming into the season so uh, there's a chance that houston really catches any of of these teams at a time when they can sneak some points and even haul in haul in three points here and there well and even 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 at the end of last season is when they weren't faring well they still caused some major upsets and caused problems Mm -hmm. for even the league's top teams so i i don't think it's fair to rule them out oh certainly not I think that's a team that obviously had a good nest of talent. You do have one of the more dynamic scorers in the league. There's a lot there to be potential. Um, obviously, you know, losing, you know, Kelly Watt was, was tough in, in a lot of ways. Cause um, like, you know, there's a lot you could say about that for instance, but certainly uh, I think the draw does help them. I think they do have some potential roster moves that could bolster them. It is hard to believe that more of the same won't happen, but, you know, a lot of things could shock you in a tournament where there's four games and then an eight-team uh, knockout. That said, Mike, let's let's go ahead and hit the same thing we had with Chicago. I unfortunately don't have as positive things to say about the the new Houston kit. I know some people are fans. I have one very specific note about it that I think is strange, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you first. Your thoughts on no, Houston's I I was. I, w- I was not the biggest fan. It looks like a t-shirt to me. Yeah, in that it's, uh, it, uh, the, I was going to make a joke like, oh, because it has short sleeves like t-shirts do. And then I was like, no, that's all kids. Uh, that's um, all kids. No, it just looks very, I, I don't know. It, it didn't do it for me. Here's what's ironic. The style on this of like the kind of the chest level stripe, that's a style I wear a lot. Like I have a lot of sweaters with that look. I don't know what it is. That's something I wear a lot. So clearly I'm into that, but I, I, I couldn't really get into it. It did feel plain, but really the one main thing that really does confuse me, 
the general inspirational motif for this was in honor of the Houston Oilers, a football organization that hasn't played in Houston for somewhere around the tune of 23 years. So essentially, it's a Houston Dash jersey to celebrate the Tennessee Titans, if you really want to put it that way. I get it that they were a long-time staple in Houston. Earl Campbell was cool. Love you, Blue. I understand all of that. I guess that you could indirectly say that it was for the Astrodome or something to that effect. I do think it's a tad peculiar. And also, I do think there's a little bit of a missed opportunity. I would love for the Dash to pay homage to the Houston Comets. It, it, this is a thought I literally just had in my brain right now, that I'm like, you're going to pay homage to a team. How about a team that won you four, your city four championships? That'd be pretty sweet. Uh, but, you know, Oilers, whatever. I get it. What's funny is the Oilers have one of my favorite all-time sports uniforms in general. They're, the Oilers look in their heyday was fantastic. But is that a weird angle to take with, with a kit i just think it's a weird inspiration not not at all the oilers uniform is just above my pay grade i'm sorry <laughs> that's a really good way to put it uh let's go ahead and move on from kits uh we've now talked through the roster their draw uh where as it all stands do you see the dash sitting in the challenge cup i had the dash finishing eighth all right, you did put your money where your mouth is. I, I'm not too far off. I do potentially see them pulling off a win against, um, I would say, Sky Blue as I look at things. Um, and I could see them sneaking a draw here or there. Right as it stands, I'm putting the dash sixth. Okay, great. Um, but, you know, I, the idea of teetering them toward the bottom was potentially there. And so I think that there's legs to that thought as well. Anyone who listens to anything that I do as far as podcasting knows that I have a really successful penchant when it comes to predictions. So, <laughs> uh, you know, congratulations to the, to the Dash for that. Uh, but no, so uh, eighth, eighth on your end, and then uh, I have them sitting sixth as it stands right now. Uh, so that's where we sit with the Houston Dash. It's time to get interesting, Mike. Talk to us a little bit about the 2019 NWSL champion, North Carolina Courage. Okay, so the two-time NWSL champions are the clear favorite going into the Challenge Cup. Uh, While there were significant roster changes around the league uh, this offseason, Courage lineup remained largely intact. With the largest number of national team players in the league, they also saw the addition of Haley Mace, which added to their talent pool. So, Steve... Almost the biggest question I have is, will the Courage live up to expectations? I mean, they established themselves as the best team in the league. Do they, do they live up to that hype? My other question is that, well, they're pretty famous for their style of, you know, their fast-paced attack. With the preseason being disrupted by the global pandemic, will fitness levels match their style of play? Mike, this might be the quickest prediction we've possibly had in that they might have fared best out of almost any other roster to the point of potential unfairness it's yeah they lose seemingly nobody mccall zerboni uh was traded to sky mm-hmm. blue um yeah. and they got the rights to Haley mace who and I, is yeah. if anybody's doubting her she's phenomenal yeah, yeah. and on top of that 
they don't really seemingly lose anyone in the tournament as far as we know they they bring close to a full roster as far as things look pretty much playing at full strength um and that includes a Dabinho, which i didn't think was going to be making it to to the challenge cup i just uh, yeah, I, she's coming what, off a phenomenal season. I mean, they they were. What do you say about the courage that hasn't been said? Like, they're uh, they're the clear favorites. They benefit from the fact that they have they have a great thing going for them. And why change what's working? Um, everyone else, I think, had a lot of moving pieces, and they stuck to what was working. Um, I think the only question is that I well, I asked a couple questions, but where this tournament is coming in a very weird format, obviously out of everyone's control. I just know last season it took them a little a little while to get into their form. You know, they yeah during World Cup time there there was, you know, a little bit of inconsistency. So that would be my only concern if I was a courage fan is are are they at at peak form right now? But that being Definitely. said they're the clear favorites. Oh, obviously. Now, looking at their draw, while they don't have the most dreaded draw across the board, and a lot of that is because they don't have to play the Courage, um, <laughs> they definitely have a bit of a stingy piece. So they obviously kick things off against Portland, then they face off against Washington, then Chicago, and end things with Sky Blue. I, I really feel like that first match against Portland may tell a lot of their story. You know, if they don't come out as strong against Portland, there's a really good chance that you have a spirit team and a Red Stars team that could both catch a current, you know, the current squad off guard to a point. So there's a lot to be said there. Any additional thoughts you have in general as far as their draw looks? Well, I think just being the team to beat, everyone will be looking to beat the courage. And so I, I don't think they can afford to relax. But that being said, with the short nature of the tournament, I don't think anybody will be so especially when there's something at stake every single step of the way I mean, this isn't a full season moving into a few teams getting to the tournament yeah you, you can't drop a game yeah. um because you're having an off day exactly yeah it's it's a tough certain uh certainty for sure that said mike i mean i'll cut to the chase i have i have them top of the bracket right now or table whatever Same. you want to call it standings Same. yeah it's, no shocker it's a hard one to it's a hard one to argue. Now, I think the question, and we'll talk about this a little later, is is more of the same in terms of rankings. Will it be more of the same once we get to the knockouts? That, of course, remain to be seen. Uh, but yeah, at, at this point, as you look at it, how they, I don't think they've given any substantial reason to go against them as a top seed at this point. I think no, I mean, no, no opponent has yet to figure out how to shut down Crystal Dunn or, you know, with Sam Kerr out of the league, Lynn Williams is in prime position to become the next leading scorer. Um, we'll, we'll, again, we'll see if they live up to those expectations, but they're in prime position. Could agree with you more. Uh, we're going to move on next to something, uh, I guess, a squad that probably has, I'd say, a little bit more dysfunction potentially, and we'll, we'll hit to those reasons why. Let's talk about the OL Rain, Mike. Okay. So in 2019, the Rain were a team that were completely decimated by injuries, yet they still managed to make the playoffs and give the Courage their most significant challenge in the championship run. Um, the offseason saw significant roster changes, including the addition of players like Sofia Huerta, 
Alana Cook, and Japanese international Yuka Momiki. Uh, the Rain will miss the contributions of their star, Megan Rapino, who opted out of the tournament. But along with a healthy and replenished roster, the club is also under new ownership from the OL uh, group in Lyon, uh, new name, new logo, and a new coach. So that's my biggest thing I'm watching with the rain, Steve, is what will Farid Benstiti's coaching style look like? He has yet to coach a team in the U.S., and um, we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, he's certainly a controversial figure. Um, but also, with so many players coming back from injury, will their fitness match their preferred playing style? Mike, I might be leaning into the drama a little too heavily obviously they're under new management and there's a lot of questions to be said about the coach especially just in terms of already rattling cages with his own players and players across the league there's just not a lot of good i have to say as it stands right now right now if i had to put it into a phrase i feel like the ol reign is a, a team apart it is i i don't get the feeling that this is a well symbiotic unit. I think the fact that I think something that speaks to that is the fact that when this was announced, I don't think anyone for a second thought Megan Rapino was going to be suiting up. Right. I feel like if there was one player, it's like, what, what incentive have they given her to, to make that? Uh, yeah. I guess in your opinion, I, you can speak more to the coach's reputation than I can. I can only go off what I've read, but I, I really wasn't a fan of the hire and, and not much has happened to change my mind. No, no. When when the rain were um, were bought out and became the OL rain, you know, a lot of changes came in place. It's nice that they have more resources at their disposal, um, but the coaching decision, I I'm not a fan of. Um, you know, he he had a reputation coaching in France. The incident, the biggest incident that that made the news was that he just straight up body shamed Lindsay Horan when she played for PSG and comments that he's made about Megan Rapino not playing um, in the challenge cup. I, it, it's hard to have much respect for this guy for me. Um, that being said, the rain are a team that lost a ridiculous amount of players last year to injury and still made the playoffs and still almost made the championship you know um it's insane the amount of resilience they had they only increased their talent pool they, they don't have pino but she was gone for world cup and with injury the majority of the year last year anyway now they do have someone like jess fishlock back um they have momiki that they just signed i you know sofia huerta there, there's a lot they were good and they got better so I think there's a divide between the talent of the players and what, you know, the questions about the coach. I, I definitely see your thoughts on, on all of that. I think it is clear to know that they were a playoff team, especially when you consider, like, uh, you could easily argue Rapino pretty much didn't have relevant minutes nearly across the board. I believe she had something like eight shots on goal for the year. You know, it was, so it wasn't, obviously you're in a case where you think, you know, is this something you can turn around or was last year's round a potential anomaly? They saw some phenomenal performances in goal. Semi match against the courage might have been the match of the year. 
Absolutely. It was it was phenomenal from start to finish. And honestly, a very, I would say, controversial handball penalty may have separated them from being a finalist. That's how well they played against the Courage. So, yeah, I, I totally get that point. I would say, and especially as, as I look at, at the draw that they've built out, obviously, you know, they finished things off against the Thorns. I think for my mind, it comes down to the narrative of starting off against Sky Blue and then Houston. If they fumble against one or both of those teams, it's this feels like a team that potentially may have the mental temerity to lean over, to kind of you know potentially break apart. Because I think the big issue here is they're getting back a lot of players due to injury, but their biggest loss to me isn't Megan Rapino; it's 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 Letko it's losing one of the best coaches in the history of the league and Who's to have someone that, of the women's national team, you know, like yeah, biggest job in the world. Yeah, exactly. And, and in my head, I go, you pick up someone who's very unproven, especially in the U S do you wonder if, if, you know, if Lecho was kind of the thing that tied that team together and helped them find the success that they did. And maybe, like I said, maybe I'm reading too much in the drama, but I really sense that. And you know what? The most concerning thing is I don't have a kit to report unless there's just something I haven't seen because they have a new logo and they have a new color scheme and they have a new branding and everything. And I I don't think I've seen what they're going to look like. And come on guys, if there's anything important to Steve Schwartzman, it's it's what you're going to look like in your Jersey. That's, that's the most important thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You blew it. Come on. Come on. Anyway. Um, so obviously, you know, looking through the draw and looking through the situation, I, I get this sense that you and I might be sitting on different ends of the so. spectrum with the rain. Where do I you think. have the rain right now in your standings? I, so I, I look, I look at that roster and knowing that these are now healthy players and looking at the draw they had, I have them finishing second. I said opposite. I didn't realize how right I was. Personally, I don't, I don't have faith in in the, their coach and his ability to bring back a lot of the mental stamina that they were able to find last year. I think that there's a lot of emotional disjointedness that comes through with the impact he's already tried to make. I think there's also a bit of exhaustion being the team that houses a Megan Rapino and, and what comes through that, and to not have her there. Mike, I've got the rain dead last. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I really didn't think we'd be this opposite. Now I'm really worried about this prediction because I might be screwed. No, no, every single rain fan on Twitter is going to lambaste me when they win the thing. That's <laughs> to the rain. Cause it's probably what's going to happen. I, I do have them beating the dash. I have them losing every other match. Okay. Wow. That's where okay. I sit right now. Big and I'm prepared to be wrong. I'm prepared to be wrong. I, I don't have any sort of vendetta against the rain. It's just, it's just how I see it going out. I, I'm looking more to me at the narrative and the emotional standpoint of that roster. It just doesn't feel like a roster that is clicking, that's clicked and and glued together and ready to come out and, and play as a unit. And I don't see, I see a lot of the same players, obviously, but I don't see the same team that put the courage on the ropes last year. I, I see something totally different. And I was not expecting to put them down that far. But when you make arbitrary predictions, sometimes you see things in a different light. And that's where I have them at the moment. It also sure. would mean, though, it would also mean, though, that they would face the courage in the first round of the knockout. So 
you know, for all we know, that might actually that would be bode a fun well for them. That would bode well for them if they catch that magic again. Who knows? I really had no idea it would be that opposite. Now I'm really scared. This is exciting. Uh, hey, so nobody knows. Good. Yeah, who knows? Uh, Mike, this is where I think it'll get fun, especially on your end. Um, there's a whole lot to be intrigued about when it comes to Portland Thorns FC. Uh, give us a quick rundown as to where they sit heading into the cup. Absolutely. So after a late season offensive slump and a loss in the playoffs, the Thorns made significant roster changes to increase their talent pool. Um, while losing high quality players like Emily Sonnet, Mitch Purse, Caitlin Ford, Dagny Brinder's daughter, and Ellie Carpenter, Portland also acquired two, the two top draft picks, Sophia Smith and Morgan Weaver, in addition to Rocky Rodriguez and national team staple Becky Sauerbrunn. Uh, the club will miss the contributions of Tobin Heath, who opted out of the tournament. Portland, probably more than any other team, saw the biggest roster changes. So what I am watching for is, will there be enough team chemistry? They definitely increased the amount of skill and talent that they have, but will there be cohesion between um, the veteran players and the new players, especially in the attacking third? Mike, I'm going to get right to the big stuff right away. I'm going to hit the elephant in the room. So let's get this let's get this out now and let's kick this off right. Mike, the Portland Thorns have the best soccer jersey in American soccer. No doubt, no doubt. Men, I mean, women, any level being a, a strong runner up, but their their new kits are mind-blowingly good. My bloody hell, that home kit is just gorgeous and here's the thing i was very minutely on the fence about it uh when it first came out i mean i loved it but i definitely wasn't at that level of of oh my goodness and then i've just studied it more and more and more and i've looked at the threading structure and and everything about it it is just as close to perfect as it gets if you're going to do a unique design they absolutely nailed it i'm my only honest note about it is the Jersey Mike's logo on the back, but it's on the back. What do <laughs> this you is how do? sponsorship works. I know. I, yeah, it's, it's life, but I, yeah. So I'm glad we could get that out of the way. I know that's probably what most people were ready to hear. It's, it's the best Jersey in, in American soccer. And I defy anyone to challenge me on that at any other level. It's a really, <laughs> good look. It's a really, really good look. This is a really exciting setup here because I think that the Thorns vastly improved in a lot of cases, but they leave a lot of questions to some others. Obviously, you know, not having Tobin Heath there to to take on a lot of that offensive pull is really tough. They also pick up potentially the best defensive player in in women's soccer history. So, you know, where do you? Yeah, my so yeah, I I agree with you. I think the team definitely got better and i don't think they're done i think that you know when uh the pandemic shut everything down um they were kind of in the middle of this rebuilding process and and it feels like that got disrupted i fully expect more to come but at least for this tournament um i think they're an improved team my biggest concern is that you know we didn't have a proper preseason we haven't had time to develop you know everyone just has to hit the ground running and these are players that have a lot of them never played together um a lot of young players 
And I'm thrilled that the Thorns, you know, are investing in what they're going to look like for years to come. But in terms of this Challenge Cup, finding that cohesion immediately, that might be tough. Completely agree. I think there's a lot to question there. You also have a Becky Sauerbrunn who has logged a lot of minutes as a player. Does that lack of of build-up time hurt her ability to be effective uh, effective right out the shoot? And they're going to need to be effective right out the shoot because they face opening. up against the defending champions on the opening day. They're the opening match. Uh, obviously, that's going to be exciting setup in general, and the rest of their draw ain't that much fun either. They play all three of their counterpart playoff team from last year as well as an up-and-coming spirit team it's a pretty tough draw i'm gonna i'm gonna say it they got the worst draw in the league they they got the short straw there's legs to that that theory it's a really really tough draw uh and it's it's one that you you look at and go i think every single night they have the potential to be challenged and that's where i i think it's going to potentially affect their they're standing where the thorns could easily find themselves in the two spot. They could also see themselves in like the six spot, just because there's four matches each. The point structure is so fluctuating that they could be that team caught in that cog that moves them in a wide direction, but it's hard to tell. Uh, yeah. I mean, you kick off against the courage, then you have the red stars, then you have the spirit, you kick things off against the rain. It's overall a fairly tough setup. Uh, so we'll have to see how that lines up. But Mike, just just getting to the quick of it, where do you have the thorns sitting on your table? I have them falling in the middle of the pack, finishing fifth. Gotcha. I really didn't think I was going to put your team farther ahead than you did. But if our predictions were all matched up, the thorns would be playing themselves. I have them fourth right now. Hey, okay. Um, I think the biggest thing that would affect them is I expect them to have a couple draws. Yeah, and I just think that's gonna fudge, you know, fudge their standing a little bit. Uh, I think I think think the Thorns and the Red Stars have a really similar story in this tournament, in that they're both really talented teams, saw a lot of changes in the off season, and then got really bad draws. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely, I I totally feel you there. It's a tough, it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, That said that might actually be a bigger issue for other teams in the league in that you can't let the seeding speak for what, how talented and how deep this roster is. It's going to be um, a tough case for anyone that puts put in a knockout structure with them. So, uh, so yeah, Mike, you've got them fifth. I have them fourth. Uh, let's go ahead and move over uh, to, to the East part of the United States. I mean, everything's going to be played in Utah. But we're, we're going to head out to the New York, New Jersey area. Talk to me about Sky Blue FC, Mike. Right, Sky Blue. So behind a new general manager and a new head coach, Sky Blue took major steps to improve their standing after an eighth-place finish in 2019. With the addition of players like McCall Zerboni, Ifiana Manu, and Midge Purse, Sky Blue increased their team's talent and versatility. Unfortunately, injuries will deprive them of the contributions of Carly Lloyd, Caprice Didasco, and newly acquired striker Mal Pugh. Still, Sky Blue have multiple players with the ability to play different positions, allowing Coach Freya Coom to adapt their style of play accordingly. Steve, one of my biggest questions with Sky Blue is focused around coaching and what lineups and formations will they use? How, how does the attack adapt 
to the holes where Carly Lloyd and Mal Pugh would have would have been. Yeah, I thank you again for that setup, Mike. I losing Mal Pugh is definitely a tough one. I think the Carly Lloyd situation. There's a lot that we could jump into on on the Carl on Carly Lloyd in general, but something that I'll say that I actually think is going to sound weird once it's compared to my overall prediction for the team. If I had to make a quote unquote golden boot prediction, I'm giving it to Mitch purse. Interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, am excited to see her in a situation where she can really fully stretch and shine. And I think that's going to be a spot for her. It, it may not tie very heavily to how I think the team will do overall, but I'm interested to see where she plays out in general but yeah this was definitely a team that made some interesting roster moves i think the question is it doesn't feel like they'll be able to cash in too heavily on that right now uh it may be a situation where we really see them play up to their level more effectively you know down the road i i think they made some really good moves that for future years down the long haul are going to be strong for them the situation there and especially with injuries it's, it's tough to say if and that's that's really start the tournament. Yeah, that's really unfortunate because I I think Sky Blue is in the process of turning around. You know, after years of neglect from the owners and you know mismanagement, they they've now you know cleaned house and you can you can see the culture changes and the institutional changes and they they just started making those moves that will turn that club around and it's been incredible to see. I mean, a couple of years ago, you had players were opting to leave the country rather than be drafted to sky blue. And now, you know, they're attracting national team caliber players like Mal Pugh and, and Midge purse that are saying they want to play there. And so it's, it's unfortunate that the injuries kind of derailed that, but I think there's still options. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Midge purse because she's someone who, you know, depending on what team she's playing for, she is such an incredibly versatile player that she can, she can be, you know, a, an effective outside back. She can, she can play strong defense. She can be an attacker. I mean, she can be a straight up striker and someone like Imani Dorsey, phenomenal skills on the ball, incredible speed. Like there's, there's multiple players on this team, even without um, those injuries. And, and it, it, is devastating when you know those injuries happen just before the tournament but i think there's a lot of players that are adaptable so i'm very curious to see how how they get used in the lineup definitely i you know i feel that same sentiment as i look at it it's it's a tough spot to be in the draw does give them some room to potentially put in some action they face off against the rain then they've got utah houston and of course closing things out against the courage you know, there, there's potential for them to to try to wiggle in some moves there. But, you know, overall, it, it, it comes down to, do they have some level of temerity to, to maintain momentum? Or, you know, is this a team that, that next year is really the year that we're going to start to see some level of blossom for them? And that's where I kick it over to you, Mike. Where do you see Sky Blue uh, sitting in, in your rankings when – these these four games are all said and done um i wish i had them higher but with the injuries i have them finishing seventh this might be the single one that we have alike i also have them seventh i okay for pretty much the same reason it's it's unfortunate because 
<clears throat> a healthy sky blue team is going to be a lot of fun. When we finally get a chance to see that, that's, it's, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Mike, we're down to two final rosters and then we're going to finally reveal our, our total, our total hodl. That's not a term. Our, I mean, there's huddle, you know, from Fiddler on the Roof, but that's a different story. Our overall results for the Challenge Cup. Uh, let's talk about the host team. Uh, give me, give me some skinny on Utah Royals FC. Okay, so the Royals were one of the two teams last year to narrowly miss the playoffs by only four points, ultimately finishing sixth. Um, the offseason most notably saw the departure of national team defender Becky Sauerbrunn and coach Laura Harvey, along with several player retirements. Utah will also miss the contribution of, of Christian Press, who opted out of the tournament. Though these changes leave spaces in the roster, the Royals are supported by a strong midfield, led by internationals Vero, Gunny Young's daughter, Diana Matheson, and Desiree Scott. In addition, the club signed draftee Sierra King and French international Aminata Diallo. So one of my biggest questions with the Royals is where does Kelly O'Hara play? With Sauerbrunn gone, um, there's questions in the back line, and O'Hara is someone that can push the ball up forward and, and drive the attack, or she can be an effective defender. I want, I want to see where, where the Royals use her. And I'm also curious, with Press not in the mix, will there be enough support for an Amy Rodriguez-led attack? Fantastic. Uh, thanks, as always, Mike. I, that midfield is really interesting. I, I just think it comes down to who do you put a lot of that onus on as you dive into things. Because Diallo, I'm excited to see in a Royals uniform. That's obviously going to be solid. Desiree Scott has a lot going for Vero, I feel like, probably may take up the real leadership role in the mid, but even Lola Bonta had some quality minutes last year, you know. True. And solid shots on goal. It's a very strong midfield. I I can't say enough good things about Vero, especially, but um, there's a lot of power in that midfield. Um, I'm having trouble seeing where some of the other spaces get filled, though. Your question on Kelly O'Hara makes me believe I could see her potentially honestly trying to put uh, some level of offensive support in terms of at least helping move you know like you like you already talked about pushing the ball down the pitch in terms of for instance I could see a lot of the defensive leadership moving more toward someone like Rachel Corsi allowing O'Hara to stretch out more because I think you need someone that can fill that gap a little bit more with press gone and while it's, I don't see her being the overall focal point of, of getting the ball in the goal, I, I think even just the ability to distribute is going to be a big deal because, honestly, Utah's success, in my opinion, is pretty well going to come off of, is Amy Rodriguez going to show a lot of the same fire she did last year? And if she comes well off of that and she's getting the ball in goal at, at the rate we know that she can, Utah could be a pretty threatening team. If that flattens out, it's hard to say that their offensive threat is enough to support. You know, it, you know, is it, it's enough to maintain them. It's it, they're kind of up in the air as far as that's concerned. They're also another team that is affected by losing a phenomenal coach who also moved on 
on the on the national level as a coach it's so it's a very tough setup there in general yeah the Royals were another team along with the Thorns that it seemed like they were right in the middle of signing some um, very big name international players but then the pandemic kind of disrupted the process I I remember uh, Marijan and um, Sarah Buadi were both were both in the conversation but I guess that fell through. So I almost wonder if they're looking at this as a year to develop, to keep rebuilding. I mean, I'm excited about some, some of the younger players getting, getting more time and seeing how they, how they can step up in those roles. I mean, Sierra King, I, I think she will be a, a really exciting player to watch. Um, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if it's, a rebuilding year for them and i hate to say that but i don't I think it. it's, it's hard to replace a Kristen press or a becky sauerbrunn obviously and i think that there's yeah i i totally agree with you on that front as as far as their schedule looks they could potentially have one of the easier runs depending on how you look at things uh starting off against houston and sky blue is they have a potential to to file away points out of their first two matches, which I think does help them. Uh, are they able to maintain that well against, you know, obviously you and I know that the rain are a very wide range of how effective they'll be. The red stars are they're definitely going to be a threat in their own right. So those last two matches are going to be tough as well. It's a, it's a really you know interesting draw, but it's, it's probably one of the better draws of a lot of the teams. They have potential to, to pull in some points where, you know, if they drew the same straw as Portland or Chicago did, they might be soundly toward the bottom of the barrel. Now to the part that I wasn't excited about, Mike. Yes. I'm not in love with these kits, man. I I know. They had I, such a great that that dark that yellow setup got, from last year was very, such a great look. I got very attached to that gold. It's true. It's the conservative kits. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which Slil Energy, you know, it's a cool, but it's just it's a big gaudy logo. The mountain setup just it feels a little tack to me. It's not a horrid look. It's just that I loved that that gold that you know that textured stripe look I thought was a solid. I bought it. I I went and bought that jersey. I don't buy jerseys very often, and I went and got one myself. I really like that setup. And I will continue to wear those games in the future, even if they shy away from the gold and continue to wear blue because I just think it's a great looking kit. I liked um, the mountain idea on the new kits, but I don't know. The design just wasn't completely there for me. Doing the mountain in gold is a little too much. If you want to do like a textured look in blue, so it's more of, you know, you look at that watermark look that that Thorns did with their rose motif. You could have done something like that. I think having it be yellow stands out just a little too heavily. Uh, the stripes on the side feel just a tad bit rudimented. Uh, this is a look that has the potential to, to change my mind once I see it on the field. But as for right now, it just doesn't feel like a, a look that I can get too stoked about. It's, it's tough, but well, I think a lot of, it and a lot of, a lot really of teams now. Looking. Yeah. And a lot of teams now are wearing that similar shade of blue. Um, the, the that's, that's a big part yellow, the gold really just made them stand out last year. It really grew on me. No, absolutely. I, I think that's a big part of it too, is, they definitely are, are conforming pretty well into a look that they've, you know, already seen. 
or, or that you've seen a lot throughout the league and they had something that came off unique and that was exciting. So, you know, it's, it's a tough call. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to get too, too much onto their case, but I just, I'm not in love, not in love with the kit. It was disappointing. That said, Mike, uh, you have two slots open. I've already filled those slots with where I think you're putting them. So we'll see if I have to correct them on my notes. Where do you have Rose FC ranked? I have the Royals coming in at the sixth spot. That's what I thought. I I have them myself at five. And I think it's because I I have them sneaking a win over the rain. And that's going to help their point system a little bit. Um, But the six makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think the back half of the bracket for certain, and and we'll see where that fits. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to see them though. No, definitely. I I think there's a lot to, to be excited about. They have a lot of players who are going to have more space to put in some some quality minutes, so we'll see how it goes. Mike, we've got one final roster, and I think this might be the most intriguing roster to discuss because there's potential to say that they might make the biggest jump of any other team in the league. We'll see if that comes true or not. But, Mike, talk to me about the Washington spirit. I totally agree with you. So – After narrowly missing the 2019 playoffs, the Spirit are actually in a strong position going into the Challenge Cup. With a young, fast team and a mostly stable roster, Washington greatly improved their strength. Although they saw the departure of Mal Pugh, the Spirit drafted Ashley Sanchez out of UCLA and added Kumi Yokoyama, a Japanese international player. Um, The Spirit also have a strong midfield and a quick attack led by Rose Lavelle, Andy Sullivan, Jordan DiBiase, and Ashley Hatch. This is also balanced by a strong keeper in Aubrey Bledsoe. So one question I have about the Spirit is, is if their midfield possession can continue to improve. It was something that was very impressive last year. We had to note that between the World Cup and injuries, um, their biggest players with Lavelle and Sullivan DiBiase and Hatch um, barely had any time that they played together, um, and yet they still dominated possession, and the midfield was so dominant for them. Um, and I guess I'll say it, are, are the spear the dark horse of this tournament? I mean, everything you're saying makes a ton of sense to me as I dig into it, and that's what I'm excited about. I, I gave kind of a bold prediction in terms of with sky blue and i talked about midge purse if we're er- crowning an early mvp I, I i think i want to give it to rose lavelle i i think rose lavelle has been such an endearing character on the wnt circuit and she's definitely someone people have clung to and are excited about and has the potential to break out as a as a real star in soccer for the long haul and i feel like this could be the potential for her to get to that level you know, the type of thing that could really kick it off is her performance in this tournament. That's what I expect to see. And that's what I'm excited about with Washington is I think I'm seeing a direction out of them that I didn't see last season. And that's, that's, uh, you know, something that I think really adds to, I think the confidence level that potentially you and I are both seeing out of this roster. Well, and one thing that's interesting about them is that with such a young and uh, quick roster um so many players with that ability um i think the disruption of preseason and um you know the quick turnarounds and the short nature of the tournament 
I, th I think they're in a great position. You know, that might be harder with team older teams um, to, to make sure their veterans are, you know, match ready and completely fit. Um, but especially, I, I agree with you, when, when Rose Lavelle is healthy, um, she can just completely control, well, not, not only the speed of play, but, but the possession and the distribution to the attackers. Um, Ashley Hatch is someone that I saw. She never quite had her breakout last year, but she's always dangerous. And Andy Sullivan, who, you know, on and off the national team, I think this is a phenomenal opportunity for a player like her. Um, I would say, ask you where you have the spirit. We, My process of elimination tells me you have them third right now. Is that correct? Yes, I've, I've got them at third. Definitely. So, and and obviously, I mean, the draw will be interesting. They, they have the Courage and they have the Thorns and they have the Red Stars. Um, so after, beat, you know, they beat the Dash to finish things off. I mean, they play the Dash to finish things off and then we'll see uh, how the rest of those matchups go. Mike? I'm going to be controversial. I'm actually making a, a change of a previous team. Oh. As I've listened to you and I've looked more at the spirit, I'm dropping the red stars to three. I think the spirit are going to be the second seed in this tournament. You know, um, I could be wrong and I, I will be embarrassed if, if they fall flat, but this is a team that ha is really good now and will keep getting better for years and I, I think this might be a big moment for them. Yeah, I think there's really something there. It, it helps that the Red Stars are who they start things off with, and really the differential between where those two teams are seated is really who wins that game. And I, I think the spirit have it in them to make a real statement there, you know, pull, pull together a, a performance that speaks, you know, volumes for, for them especially. Uh, that said, um, looking through the, the structure right now. So I'm just going to go through the rosters right now that we've gone through each of these teams. So Mike, the way you've got it right now in, in the knockout round uh, in your one, eight matchup, you have the first seed courage. It's the eight seed dash and the four five. You have the red stars and thorns. You have the three seed spirit against Utah at the six. And then at the bottom of the bracket, you have number two rain and facing off against sky blue myself. I have, courage and rain in the one eight the thorns and the royals in the four five the red stars in the dash in three six and in the two seven it's the spirit and sky blue mike let, just to i guess quicken this two point i'm gonna kick it off to you first uh to walk me through your knockout round tournament and who you have as the inaugural nwsl challenge cup champion okay i have Courage over the dash, Red Stars beating the Thorns in knockout, Rain over Sky Blue, and Washington over the Royals. In the next round, I have the Courage beating the Red Stars in a rematch of last year's championship. And then I have the Spirit over the Rain. And then finally, um, championship match between the North Carolina courage and the Washington spirits. I have the courage winning it all. What a, what a bold prediction, Mike. What a, <laughs> what a bold prediction. having the returning champ. I mean, come on, what am I going to do? Refute you? <laughs> uh, makes total sense. No. So yeah, the courage winning that looks like the spirit are definitely 
almost kind of, you know, the, the courage win the fight, the spirit win the night is almost how it looks. Uh, okay. As you look at, I like at that. that level of performance. I like that call there. Uh, on my end, I've got the courage beating the rain in the first round, thorns over Royals, uh, the red stars uh, beating the dash, and then the spirit over sky blue. In the semifinals, Thorn and Courage, I have the Courage winning that one. And then I have the Red Stars overtaking the Spirit. So the final of the Challenge Cup, I'm seeing right now as a rematch of the 2019 NWSL Championship. And very indicative of the 2019 Washington Nationals, who lost their best player, Bryce Harper, and moved on to win a World Series. I have the Red Stars, without Sam Kerr, uh, getting, getting the proverbial monkey off of their back. Uh, and winning the NWSL Challenge Cup, defeating the Courage in the final. Wow. Okay, that is a prediction. Yeah, and uh, honestly, there there's a lot of it that's built off of. Wouldn't it be sweet if? So that's what I'm going for. That would be a great rematch. This this whole thing is a circus. I might as well have a little fun with the predictions, right? So, uh, so Mike, officially, you've got Courage over Spirit final. I've got Red Stars over Courage. In the final, for those who listened to our last episode, you will know that uh, officially uh, Mike and I are putting apples on the line. Uh, we we decided that the winner of these predictions would receive some sort of apple-themed prize that we haven't basket. And if you have to know, ba- exactly, apples. apple of the month, we'll see, a whole bushel even. Uh, if, if you want to learn a little bit more about how that came to place, of course, you can listen to our previous episode. Uh, our fun predictions but uh mike anything else you want to say uh looking forward to the challenge cup we're we're, we're just we, hundreds we of minutes away made it. <laughs> here we are we're, we finally made it stay healthy absolutely. everyone absolutely stay healthy stay safe you know if we're able to see a full tournament you know definitely enjoy yourselves tell everyone you know to sit down and watch the first league back uh, and enjoy the Challenge Cup as we, uh, you know, get a chance to sit back and, and respite a little bit. Best of luck to players, coaches, everyone looking to stay safe and, and put together some great soccer. Can't be more excited for the for the Challenge Cup. This will be uh, really a monumental event, something we may never see the likes of again. So uh, can't wait to kick things off Saturday uh, when the Thorns and Courage match things up and we're well on our way through the Challenge Cup. But until all of that, thank you so much, for listening to to this episode of WMBA Nation, we always love having you around. Of course, you can always find us over on Twitter at NWSL Nation Pod. Find us wherever your podcast can be found. If you're on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that has a rating system, we'd love to see five star ratings, some comments. Let us know what we can do to make this program better for you. We hope that it's been a good experience thus far. And until we talk to you again, thanks again so much for listening to us. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Mike McPhee. And we'll catch you next time.